Justin Brown, it's your boy, young Justin, young old Justin, I don't know, I don't know if young, if you're going to be 28 and still call yourself young, but I'm doing it, at least till 30, young Justin in the house, man, it's uh, Saturday, uh, May 5th, it's a good day, went to uh, a little bit about my day, you know, I went over to uh, Third Eye Planet. Or Third Eye Comics over in Annapolis. Nice little drive over there from D.C. Because today was free comic book day. Uh, and it was good to get over there. You know what I mean? I've never been to that particular comic book store. Just some background. I have a few comics. I've been gifted some. i purchased some of my own for different reasons. I'm kind of into comic books, but not like a steady reader. I'm really more, to- more so into it for the aesthetic. You know, if something looks pretty, I like it. That's why I like looking at comic book covers, you know, a nice poster. That's why I'm collecting posters. And, you know, if butts were collectible, I collect butts, but, you know, got to stick with Instagram, I guess. Anyway, butts and aesthetic aside, it was a nice little trip over there. Randomly ran into uh, some family over there checking out comic books, so that was pretty cool. Picked up a copy of Black Panther because, you know, ride with him until find another black comic book. Uh, to ride with, but actually, no, I have a couple other ones, uh, that I messed with, but went over there, grabbed Black Panther, and, uh, a couple of the Hulk stories, Planet Hulk, I heard was pretty good, and then World War Hulk was also pretty good, so I copped those, um, and that's just for any blurds out there, or nerds in general, into that sort of thing, man, those are some nice pickups, um, but yeah, man, last couple weeks, been on that comedy grind and stuff, um, you know, hit a few new mics. I was glad this week I got back to my old roots of, or old ethic of getting out on Monday through Friday. I was able to do that this week, thankfully. So shout out to everybody that allowed me to do so. That was good. That was real good, man. It's just being able to get out there steadily and work. You know what I mean? Not having to feel like you have to stay at home, watch these suck-ass Wizards blow their playoff chances every game. You know what I mean? I guess it helps that the Wizards aren't playing. Less of an excuse to want to stay in to, to watch them or catch them somewhere. But even when I was out, they stunk. So thank you, Wizards, for, you know, ending your playoff chances early so I can go have a uh, better work ethic about my comedy. Um, that being said, what's going on? Uh, what's going on with me outside of that? Yeah, it's been chill. Uh, chill enough, you know what I mean? It's It's a struggle. I think still just being a dude for the pure fact that um, being able to speak your mind about certain things and also sometimes being black. You know, if you ever feel marginalized or like your voice has been uh, devalued or isolated and things like that, you're going to feel like that. Even when you're comfortable speaking your mind, like at work, they were talking about this dude, there's this councilman, uh, DC, Trayon White, who said the other week that like a, about a month ago actually and i don't have the whole context but what he said was the jews control the weather or the rothschilds control the weather 
which is some like ancient well not ancient but like they've been rich for about a couple centuries now the money is based loosely in well strongly in europe loosely in several different countries over there like germany france uh england uk and all that stuff but he said they control the weather and boy oh boy did the whites and the liberals in dc not like it now for the background Trayon white is a black man who uh is a dc councilman cur currently he grew up in southeast washington dc um struggle coming up he uh started i think about middle school high school where he had a mentor that he uh you know Started to find himself a little bit, started giving back to the community and like supporting his uh, fellow students. He's an active member. He was an active member and still is um, one of the Boys and Girls Club. He's always wanted to speak out for the Southeast Ward 8, Ward 7 community. And I think that's very powerful. Um, apparently, he came up under Marion Barry in his uh, latter years. Uh, the less. Um, the less fascinating of them. This is after the incident. Because beforehand, if you don't know about Marion Barry, very strong, active community, grassroots kind of council, uh, mayor, councilman, I think, and then mayor. Uh, was always riding with his city, riding with his people, ride or die. He was the face of Chocolate City for some time. Anyway, he came up under uh, Marion Barry after a whole, you know, the, the bitch lied uh, version of Marion Barry. Which was, you know, again, not his most glamorous years. Uh, which is kind of cool. I mean, at least he got to come up under him. You know what I mean? It's like if I, doing comedy now, was asked to go on tour with Bill Cosby. Granted, it's not <laughs> it's not old school Bill Cosby. The one that can, you know, back in the day had audiences sitting and laughing as he sat and told his stories on stage, walked around on stage and did all those things, man. Like back then... Being touring with Bill Cosby would mean many doors are open, and now I guess uh, touring with many touring with uh, Bill Cosby would mean that many doors were open in a jail, because that's probably where he's going. Um, I would talk about the case a bit more, but you know it is what it is, man. If he did it, especially that many times, you gotta pay for it somehow. It's like uh, it's like how they keep catching these Holocaust people, people the Nazis. Um, and they're still paying it for later years, you know what I mean? So they get it stuck to him. I guess Bill has to get it stuck to him. Hopefully Harvey Weinstein, who was caught, you know, recently, gets something stuck to him. Like, oh, everybody who does wrong shit should have stuff stuck to him, not just black people. But it's a lot to digest, too. Uh, anyway, back to Trayon White. He came up under the the Bill Cosby of D.C. mayors and Marion Barry. And... Not actually, depending on where you are with Bill Cosby, whatever. That's a good enough analogy, fuck it, to get my point across. Anyway, he came up under him, so he didn't get the... He got Marion Barry, but not the same Marion Barry that I think was the most influential and impactful. Anyway, he's been active in this uh, grassroots uh, advocacy scene of D.C., especially for, again, Ward 7 and 8, the, the most economically um, stricken... Um, parts of dc you're talking about food deserts over there you're talking about just not a lot of money flowing over there unless it's new money for new people so let's keep that in mind anyway what you said about the rothschilds or lack of better terms jews controlling the weather turned a lot of uh people off to them you know i mean a lot of the stories i saw too were just slanted against them and only talked about what he said and not who he was as a person 
which I have a little bit of a problem, especially, you know, uh, we're talking about the news not being slanted. Then again, if you watched uh, anything on the news long enough, you'll realize, oh, they're in it for themselves and the money, so fuck them. Uh, anyway, he, he said that, and like a couple weeks later, this is a couple weeks ago as well, um, they had him go to the Holocaust Museum with like the, whoever the the Jews call when, you know, stuff's going down, like they got them on them. I think it's the National Jewish League or something, like a superhero for Jews, the power to, you know, control banks and the weather, I guess. Anyway, they went to the Holocaust Museum with some of their strongest members, and they were trying to talk some, I don't know, sense into them to try to make them empathize, but that, it didn't get over, go over well. He left like halfway through saying he had a meeting, and his staff didn't know what was going on, and when he got, when the... I guess the Jewish representatives came outside to greet him. He was, like, still skeptical about things. So, I mean, it is what it is. You know, he said something in a position where he's going to catch flack for it. The real question is, was he wrong? Let's find out more tomorrow or something. Anyway, man, yeah, I just don't like, you know, anytime they paint a black man into, one thing for me specifically, anytime they paint a, a black person in a negative light, I, I try to get full context of not only the situation, but also that person. Especially if we don't get a fair shake. Since we don't get a fair shake, as much as any other race in this country does, I think it's very important for me to make sure I know who the hell people are talking about. And not just with black men or black people, but definitely with black people do I uh, go out of my way to do that, man. It, it'd be nice, you know, if they painted a whole picture of the dude and not just what he said. Who knows? He could have been drunk and said it. Not a good look, but still, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's probably going to cost him a seat. But the uh, funniest part was there's <laughs> another councilman in D.C., uh Spanish dude who just had to resign, 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 because uh, he had a rally. This is a portrait on white, and he had a, a Muslim speaker there in this uh, public little rally for him, for Treon, and uh, I guess he didn't do his research on his guest speaker because some Jewish reporter or or white reporter or just someone out there in the sea of people that this man was talking to. And when I say C, I mean like the letter C. It's about a line of people in the shape of a C. It wasn't like, you know, the March on Washington or something. Anyway, he said something about he went in on Jews for like a good minute to the point where the Spanish dude was like, hey, man, you got to you stop. Try to try to stay positive. You're making me look bad. And it got so bad that, you know, they had to write up a negative report on or They chose to whatever chose to write negative reports about what happened and all the things that were said. And the Spanish councilman who said he had to resign. It was because he was getting a lot of like death threats against his family and stuff, which is, I mean, crazy. That's worse than what Trayon White said. If you're threatening someone's life versus like a cloudy day, you need to go look at yourself, you dick. Leave these people alone. They're trying to better serve a city. And, uh, you know, without a lot of strong leadership and honest leadership to whose whose footsteps they can follow, um, it's it's they they need margin for error. And with how DC is changing, I don't think they're going to get that fair shake. So, a uh, Spanish councilman, I forget your name. Sorry, dude, I should have looked it up, but you had that weird mustache, so you know who you are, mustache. 
Spanish guy with a weird mustache and Trey on, man. I hope y'all keep your heads up, you know, fix whatever's going wrong, fix your shit. I want to see y'all do well in the future. That being said, man, that's just uh, something I want to talk about real quick. Today, we're going to go ahead and get into the show. My guest today, good uh, friend of mine, stand-up comedian Terrence Gawith. Uh, dumbass last name, but you know, white people have those all the time. Gawith. But uh, yeah, hailing from Kansas City. Good friend of mine. I've known him for a few years in comedy. Uh, we sat down talked about comedy and what it means to, you know, be unfiltered. And we really tapped into, like, freedom of speech and how, you know, society is scared to hold up a mirror to itself, especially American society. You know, especially if they can just go to brunch and be happy. We feel like a lot of people aren't going to do that. So that's basically what uh, most of this uh, episode's about. Um, I hope you really listen and we touch on. We also touch on uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner with Michelle Wolf. Props to her for doing her thing up there. Um, kind of want to bash her throat in. What she uh, the, the the voice was a bit much. You know, people were taken aback by the jokes. I was taken aback by her voice. It's like Jesus Christ. If that's what you sound like, maybe they do control the weather. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me stop messing around. Let's go ahead and get to this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Let's do it. All right, everybody, welcome back to On the Ground with Justin Brown. This is your host, Justin Brown, and today we have a good friend of mine. Go ahead and introduce yourself, player. Uh, I am Terrence Galwith, uh, a nobody comedian. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me, JB. No problem. Man, I want to call yourself a nobody. There's plenty <laughs> of uh, people in Waldorf and Fort Washington that know you, I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, 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 thanks yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, Happy man. to have you and shit. Thanks for having me. Um, so Terrence, or as I like to call him, White T, um, tell him <laughs> about yourself. What are you about these days? Oh, man, just uh, doing the grind, man. You know, doing, doing, still got the day job, obviously, because I ain't out there eating on the mic like some people are. Uh, so it's pretty much work. Gym comedy, man. You know that's that's the daily grind. True. Okay. How long have you been doing uh comedy? Uh, December will be five years, man. Five okay. five years. Okay. Uh, and stand up only, or what else do you do in comedy? Uh, I've I when I first started, I started to try to do like the little YouTube videos, you know, okay. stuff like that, like, like skits, yeah, 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 like okay. everybody else was doing, you know, because it was fun you know vine was out around that time too and that was off off and popping uh instagram you know it wasn't even owned by facebook at that point you know so i was doing like little just stupid stuff i still do some occasionally i don't really do the youtube anymore because that's just like work man i don't know if you ever tried it but i tried like once or twice but yeah that's just not for me man even (laughs) just like cutting little promos for this right it's a minute long for an instagram video right but i do like two or three takes and that's like Dude, I do that, and I'm done. That's why I only do this podcast. Imagine like daily week. content or weekly content, even, and then all the the cameras and all that. Dude, yeah. I, I'm not camera savvy, computer editing savvy. Text savvy and all that stuff. I, I can do it, yeah. but like I don't know how to edit videos and all that. And then you got to go out in there and buy all the software. I was like, fuck this, man. It's not True. for me. <laughs> True. Okay, so um, let's let's get into what it is for you. How uh, what what is the thing that got you into comedy why why are you a stand-up oh man that's it was something i always knew i wanted to do man um i grew up i feel like in the golden age of comedy man i i would sneak watches of deaf comedy jam back in the day i would watch with my dad when i was visiting him because my parents are divorced um 
when we when we were together and I was on his every other weekend, we'd watch some Def Comedy Jam, man. Um, and I just remember, you yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. So, and I just remember, man, like I thought it was the the coolest thing to see somebody jump behind the mic, say things, and have just a, a crowd full of strangers just in an uproar over. And I mean, you could see them like they're waiting on them yeah, to yeah. say whatever it is they got to say. And then you couple that with like all the 80s comedies and all that I grew up watching, like, you know, Blazing Saddles and, you know, Planes, Trains, Automobiles and all that stuff, you know, so that was when I knew I wanted to make people laugh. That's interesting, too, because I know you guys can't see him, but Terrence is white. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, He's got a lot of jokes about being a white dude named Terrence, and yep. it's one of the weirder things you'll see, I guess, but it's interesting because it, it sounds like all your influence, for the most part, yeah. are yeah. I black mean, comedy it, or at least black It, it really was, man. Um I'll never forget it, man. Like I think uh, we always talk. It, that's, that's that running stigma. Comics are broken people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the funniest things that I'll always remember was at a very young age. I was listening to rap and I was listening to rock. And I went to school one day and I started quoting some Poison, the the rock band, the eighties okay. Hairspray, whatever the hell it's called. I I started quoting that, and yeah. this this girl, black girl named Ramona, she heard me. And we, this was this was young. She's like this is Kansas City, right? This is Kansas, yeah. yeah. So middle of nowhere, white trash everywhere. But I grew up with all the yeah, the, yeah, black woman named Ramona. All my friends were black, like because we grew on the poor side of that dirt, you know, <laughs> dirt town and all that. But I, I went in there. I quoted some. I think it was uh, nothing but a good time, if I remember correctly. But that shit like touched my soul. And she's like, "Oh hell no, what is that?" And then like. Her and all her friends started laughing at me at The Rock, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. It's rap all the way. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> you had a black woman scare you out of doing something I'm you want to do. I'm telling you, man. It wasn't until I, I put this on everything, man. It wasn't until I hit high school that yeah. I felt comfortable enough with, like, maybe it is okay that I'm okay with who I am and start being all right listening to rock and roll, That's a fair. little bit of country and all that, man. That's fair. Okay. Um... Let's push it to this then. So in terms of comedy and the style of comedy you do, so one thing that always sticks out to me is that, you know, a lot of comics talk about wanting to have a lack of filter and wanting to be the tr talking the truth and all that stuff, but how has your life shaped how you want to perform your comedy? Outside uh, of just watching Def Comedy Jam and, you know, the movies and things like that, what uh, other things help fuel your comedy? I think... So to go on the not having a filter and speaking their truth, I think, for me personally, I think it was going through some like really terrible shit, like a, okay. a divorce and where, you know, my wife left me for another man a few years back. Um, I think it's, you know, um, not having a great relationship with my mother growing up. And, I, you know, I won't get into too much detail, so it's not like a pity me type of thing. But I think it's, for me, it's always been like real life is going to hit you worse. So this sure. idea that words and everything are, are off limits or hurt people in a certain way is is insane to me. And I don't I don't I don't believe it. I put zero stock in it. You know what I mean? And at all? At all. Like because here's the thing, man, like like I said, I feel like I grew up in the golden age of comedy with Def Comedy Jam and sure. and they said everything. I think there's a difference between a joke and a fucking sermon, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if I'm over here like well, black people are this, and white people are this, and gay people are this, and then I just keep hammering that point home, 
that's a bit different than making a joke that, you know, is playfully racist or playfully sexist or playfully homophobic because at the end of the day, man, like, to me, there's a lot of truth and sarcastic undertones in my humor. Yeah. And some people get it or they don't. Okay. They like it or they don't. That's true. And that's something you're going to find, I guess, a lot of conflict in. And DC are just newer crowds today just wanting to be a little bit more on the edge of their seats and worried about walking on eggshells when you're right. performing for them. But I guess words don't hurt you now. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't, look, like. Unless, unless, you know, Ramona pops up on your <laughs> fucking shows. I'm saying, so, but to me, that, that, that shows the absurdity of it, right? Like, I let words affect me to that level when yeah. it didn't, it doesn't matter. Like, but it does, <laughs> it still sticks with you. No, it, it stuck good. with me from a memory step. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that words can't influence you, right? Oh, but it's, course, it's, it's this idea that we, we have now, like, you, you can't say this, like, you can't say retarded. You can't say, you know, gay. You can't say, uh, you know, like, uh, fill in the blank. Like, obviously, I'm not going to drop... Packer. Yeah, you know, like, like, stuff like that. Like, it's, it's getting past the line. Like, I'm not yeah. saying, like, everybody should be walking around and be like, hey, faggot. Like, that's that's not, like, the way You're things not, should be. But... Right. Because that's different. Like, that's... There's certain levels to it. But when we take it so far extreme, man, like, we're, we're boiling everybody down and trying to pretend, like, we as people don't have weird thoughts or crazy, oh, course, you know, yeah. outside the box, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that makes me think about just the way I'm trying to steer my comedy now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but I have, like, the best secondhand advice of anyone you'll meet because literally all I do is sit and listen to com- advice from, like, great influential people, uh, like, you know, Bruce Lee or fucking, like, people are influential on me. Right, because he's all over your wall and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody that's influenced me with their words one way or another. Uh, but then just in terms of comedy specifically, I remember I was watching... One interview with uh, Paul Mooney and mm-hmm. Gregory, and they were sitting down getting interviewed. Somebody asked Dick Gregory a question. It was like, you know, comedy, it's about jokes. You're not here to preach. If you want to preach, go to the church. You should right. be up there. Your job is to make people laugh. And right. specifically with black comics, I'm not sure if, I, I'm not sure how much of a burden like society might cast on how you may want to do your comedy as a white guy. But for me and a, a lot of black comics, I think we have the burden of. Hold, uh, you know, shouldering our past non-comedically and somehow trying to infuse that kind of like insight right. into our comedy style. You right. know what I mean? So in terms of just wanting to make people laugh, right, uh, one thing I'm trying to do now is just stick more to the jokes. Right. So instead of going up there to try to make a point all the time, it's going to be a little bit more dick jokes. Right. Uh, to try to, to try to remind people why I'm there and also right. kind of to walk on those for lack of better terms, I've been calling them Me Too eggshells. Right. Is that, what kind of, do you feel any, like, I guess, influence or burdens or points you have to make in your comedy? Um, I I think, no question, man. That's why, like, you know, um, and for those that don't know um, and they care to know, I usually perform in front of mostly black crowds. That's that's where I go, right? Um, So... Out the gate, I have to establish some level of common ground to understand that I'm one of the few white dudes, white people in this environment in general, and then also that what I'm saying is a joke. It's not serious. I, I make playfully racist jokes, and like I said, there's a lot of truth in my humor, and some of my yeah. quote-unquote punchlines are truth bombs that are a little, you know, on the more effed up side, right? You know that. It's, it's part of it. So I say that to say, like, there's certain 
things I do prior to going to these shows. Like I'm not gonna dress the way I would going to work. You know, where I go into work with you know nicer sweaters and button downs, maybe a tie or something like that. Because now it seems like I'm a little more um, uppity, I guess, right? So going in with that more relaxed look, you know, and I've got my hat on, I've got my J's on, and I'm walking in there like how I normally dress, yeah. right? It's 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 laid back, it's cool. Um, as far as when it comes to making the comedy, I think what you said is absolutely true, man, is, is stop being so much on what's the message of this joke yeah. and just make it, you know, Funny. this is the punchline, yeah. period. Because I had one lady approach me probably about six months ago because I said some of my, my punchlines and, and she didn't like it. She yeah. sat there the whole time and I tried to banter with her. She was real crappy about it. And then she come up to me and was like, you have a duty to use your platform for what much better than what you're doing now. And I was like, lady, th this is jokes. Like, I'm, I'm not a president. I don't have enough money, enough influence out there to really do anything. And, right. and so... What, what do you want from me? Like, you didn't laugh. Everybody else did. What's wrong with you? Like, Where is this at? Is that was at Proud Mary's, actually. Okay. That's a, yeah, that's definitely an older yeah. black crowd from yep, the yep, shows yep. I've done there, too. Um, so I guess in, in terms of sticking with that line of thought of, like, you know, feeling. Do you feel like you shoulder any sort of burden in with your, whether it's on stage or off, of trying to, in terms of influence, right? You're a white dude. Mm-hmm. Um... Privilege Am is I? a big word. I'm just kidding, man. I mean, hey, on the outside. And the I love when people say that because they're like, you're white. Like, because I'll say something, they'll be like, you're white. And I'm like, oh my God, why didn't somebody tell me this before? <laughs> no wonder my credit score is like this. I need a new furniture for three years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Shit. Well, I mean, hey, dude, there's always, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a different time for them. Maybe. No, I mean, so. Maybe you're talking to Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Who knows? So in terms of, of privilege or like a, a burden I got to bear, Well, I guess like with that, so like you're in front of black audiences right. a lot. You grew up around right. black people for the most part, uh, economically, yeah. on the you know, lower end, yeah. you know what I mean, not above working class just like me right uh do you feel that based on those experiences have they shaped how you carry yourself off stage and how you interact with the black community maybe outside of the stage yeah i mean absolutely because I, i'm i'm completely comfortable there i'm not comfortable in half these places in dc because it's it, it is a lot of these uppity pretentious white folks right okay. they're they're the people that are going to complain and bitch about look at what gentrification is doing to the black community but they're the same motherfuckers that are out here doing the gentrification <laughs> you know what i mean where it's like i'll make the jokes about it but i'm on the facetious slash you know sarcastic side whatever to where it's like i'm poking fun at that because yeah. i'm not that like and the white people i know and grew up with they're not like that like we don't care what you look like for the most part. Right. And, Unless you're ugly. Right. I mean, if you're ugly, nobody Race likes you. Ugly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. If you're ugly, stay home. All right? Please. Amazon serves groceries now. <laughs> There's no reason for your ass to step outside. Don't come <laughs> but so the, I think the biggest burden is, yeah, I, especially now that, that, that Trump has been in the White House. I've noticed that shift over the last year, like 100%. The shift there, the There's more apprehension towards a white man now and, and now granted that's this area you know i haven't really i've done comedy up in new york city i didn't really feel that there um i've i've done it yeah pretty much new york city in here um 
I think there's that level of me having to break it down more that these are jokes because I do toe that line. Um, because the way people say, well, I love Trump for, you know, he speaks his mind. And there's that level of apprehension people have to be like, is is this dude serious? Is this, is this, you know, missing sheets right now? Is, is, you know what I mean? Like, so there's, there's that level of that, which also comes that responsibility of trying to make it relatable to people to say, look, I'm ignorant. But there's a lot of black folks that are ignorant. The same with, you know, Native Americans, you know, Asians, whatever. We have stupid people, but there's a common ground, right? Like, I was working class, you were working class. It's it's just that way, but sometimes, you know, people don't want to let that be just is what it is, you know? I know. It, it must be hard for you, you know what I mean? Sort of. You know I, mean? <laughs> I know it's hard. It's to like do that's what that the asterisk. Black, yeah, I mean, it, I, I understand it could be hard. You know, when you're performing for all black people as a white guy, telling your joke, especially when you're towing the line in this day and age. Right. Is it even harder when you're holding your tiki torch? Is that something you find? <laughs> you know, it's actually easier because they're afraid. You True. know, so they're they're kind of whipped into you know paying attention pun intended somebody's gonna like click this off and be like Justin why did you ever have this asshole <laughs> guys man I gotta have well one of the reasons I want to have you because I know you're willing to speak your mind freely right you yeah. have that for lack of a better term it's, it's, it's close to being a social superpower right I think uh, just so, like you were describing like we've talked about just how uptight right. people are today right the how everything's all politicized and right. things are growing more and more extreme. It's becoming harder, I think, for anybody who wants to align themselves in the middle right. to be able to articulate how they right. feel. And although I don't like the term safe space, I understand what it does. And in the right environment, it can work. Right. We need, I think, more of a larger safe space for people to who might be ignorant to things. They come in and be like, "Hey, this is where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to be fucked up. Right. Like, give me a place to to mess ask up a question, at. right? Right. And that's that's what we lack, right? Like because they're they're making it to where you make a mistake. Yeah. This this is the end all be all, and you're damned forever. And so, like, to me, my ignorance always comes from a good place. I was okay. always raised that if I don't know the answer, ask the damn question. Yeah. Okay. So I know you're on a Facebook hiatus for you know 14 years now, but right. like. You know, with the Kanye thing that came out, right? Oh, that was everywhere else. That was, that was <laughs> everywhere, everywhere, right? Yeah. So that was everywhere. So me being a white guy, I made the post because this is what I think, right? I think a lot of people missed the message that the he post? had. The, oh, okay. right, the, the message that Kanye had within all of that. Yeah. The reason I think that is because when I would try to engage people, they did like they mostly do like nowadays and they respond emotionally. Well, hold on. First, what message? Because he had several different... So, so I, I'll say all that to say most people didn't watch the 44-ish minute interview. And with who? With Kanye. Kanye and TMZ. You know TMZ. what I'm talking about, right? Okay, that one. The yeah. one where he, he said slavery, where he said slavery is a choice. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah, particular yeah. interview okay. and that particular 44-minute segment in total, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I watched it three times now to really check and see like what am I missing as a person right because you got people in an uproar be like how dare he say slavery was a choice and how dare he do this and say that and you know he was just being inflammatory he's an idiot he should go hang himself turn in his black card you know how the internet is right 
I said I think yeah, people I missed. Well, go ahead. I, well, uh, so, <laughs> which you're entitled to that opinion, right? I was joking. I, I, I got something to tag you with. Go ahead. Go but, ahead. But, but even if you were feeling that way, right? You're entitled to that. Yeah. That doesn't give me, if, you know... If I'm somebody who disagrees, it doesn't give me a right to be like, well, go kill yourself. No, like legitimately. Walk outside right now and hang yourself or shoot yourself or stab yourself to death, right? But yeah. that's that's where we've come on the internet, right? And all I did was say, I think people missed parts of his message. And if you feel free to disagree, by all means disagree. But I think the reason being is because I think he misspoke when he said slavery is a choice. I think it was him misspeaking because it was real time, it was live. What he immediately followed it up with was this mental imprisonment that society has. And oh, then yeah, yeah. This, this bottlenecking of ideas that were now forced because now you got these echo chambers, the masses, everything that you talked about, right? Yeah. This safe space for people that are extreme on either side to be like, don't talk about xenophobia to me because I'm far left. And then if you're on the right side, don't talk about abortion to me because I'm far right. Yeah. Like. There, there's no in-between, and it's like you said, it's harder to become middle of the road where I think most people operate, but they're afraid to say something because of these people, right? Don't push you to one side right. or the other. And, here, and it's a good point you brought that up because when I first heard about it, people I worked with were kind of, you know, up in arms. Like, why would he say slavery was a choice, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't say was a choice. He said is a choice. And I, I had to remind him that there is a huge difference. He's huge not difference. saying what happened in the past. Completely. Is you know what he has, it's just, it's, and I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because that was something I watched, and on my second or third time, I noticed that I was like, yeah. "Damn," it's which impacted me. Yeah, and I, I, to a degree, I agree, but at the same time, though, I want people to come to my show. So if you're on Team Kanye, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Kanye right now. Yeah, fuck Kanye West and and Listen everything. To his album, though, June. He's <laughs> some shit in May and June. Listen to that shit. But I mean, uh, but that's the thing. People people can be entitled to feel like what he said was the dumbest thing ever. That's fine. Yeah. But if you want to tell people, like his whole thing that that entire interview when he first started off was about free thinking. Yeah. And they're trying to, to cut that out, right? Yeah. And, and they're trying to cut that out. And to me, that was the the ultimate example of that. Was he simply misspoke? And it was like out of the forty four minutes, it was like two minutes into the interview. And then they got the other viral clip because it just came out in clips. Like, okay. so you got the first viral clip was him being like, "Slavery, that was a choice," you know. And um, so people are like, "Oh my god!" And then the one that the dude checked him, it was like, "What you said was hurtful. It's inaccurate. You're misusing your influence." And it was like, so out of the 15 minutes between when he said that and then you interacted him, yeah. you didn't hear anything else he had to say. Which to me meant that you were so emotionally triggered off that one thing, you went tone deaf on everything else and yeah. didn't care to understand and empathize and say, why did he come to this conclusion? That's true. And I, to be honest with you, it's going to be hard, I think, for... Because slavery is just one of those things that, even with reparations, that's not... There's no way no. America, I think, is going to be able to... No. Especially because we continue to... Pretend like, well, it's like that. It's through other things, other yeah. institutions and all that stuff. But when, like, like Louis C.K. said, right? Like, it's not like when slavery which ended. Thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like when slavery ended, it wasn't like things were just, you know, hunky dory for black folks the next oh, yeah, day. Yeah. You know, like, well, here's your house and, you know, have your kids back. You know, they, they can't be unraped. Like, that's just. <laughs> that's fucked up. It, I mean, it's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fucked up. They're here. Yeah. They're here. Fucking, uh. No, that's right, dude. It's. It's just going to be one of those things where it's going to be an easy trigger point. 100%. And understandably so. 
because it's not something that I think they can ever be made men. So it's just always slavery. American history slavery is always going to be touchy. Right. But it, but so I understand where that's coming from, and I understand the tone deaf behind it. Right. It it's not something you ever like seriously engaged with before. Otherwise, right. it's always just going to be that trigger until you, like whatever problems you're facing. Like so, you learn how to deal with it. Whenever you get reminded of it, your mind's just going to. Yeah, and, but on the opposite end of that, man, there's that that old quote that goes something like, you know, the first casualty of emotion is reason, right? Of course, so, yeah. so if if you start to get too emotional on things, reasoning goes out the window. That's the first thing. Now yeah. you're reacting completely based on visceral responses, yeah. right? So, when it comes to those types of things, you would think that the internet is like the perfect place to iron these details out, right? Because you got to type responses up, you've yeah. got to read, you've got to comprehend, and everything. So it gives you this time to look and be like, I was being kind of an asshole. Maybe I should reword this and go back. Kind of like you would, you know, if you're at work or something like that, or you write that angry letter to stick it in your drawer or something. You would think that the internet could house this a little bit better, but it completely is just a cesspit of hatred and, you know, Cat videos. <laughs> yeah, because it's where people go to uh, share their opinions. Like, it's unfiltered opinions. You deal with the consequences, but that's essentially what social media has been created for, for people to just right. go ahead and share their opinions. Like, have you, transition a little bit. Did you see the uh, the video, the White House Correspondence video? Yeah, with Michelle Wolf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I watched so, all, what, 19 some odd minutes? minutes. Yeah, so It was a good video. I love her jokes. Yo. But in terms of just, like, how people are going to be uptight to a degree... It's, I know there's a lot of backlash, a lot of news sites. Like, before I even saw the video, I saw like 20 different articles saying, Who the hell does she think she is? Who is this woman? And what was Why unfortunate was, was they chance? were clips. I have a problem with that. When it's ever in Oh, clips, yeah, snippets. It's taken out of context. I hate People that. Are gonna... and, and, and it's intentionally done. The same yeah. thing with, like, like I said, you know, not to go back, back, but with the Kanye deal. And yeah. then with this, it's, it's snippets and it's clips intentionally to sell a point or idea. Yeah. And, and my my dad is on Facebook now. Okay. And <laughs> this is going to sound like very typical, right? Like he's I mean, not racist. You're that to warn the children? No, <laughs> that too, right? <laughs> That's why there's no school near him. Thank God. But <laughs> he's, he's that guy that was up in arms, like how dare she be so disrespectful. And I was like, Pop, you didn't say a damn bit of nothing about her Hillary jokes when she was clowning on them or the Democratic Party. You had a specific problem when it came to... Your guy. Right. And then somebody, who was it? I think it was Olsen, Parker. You know Olsen, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he posted something. He said, you can't say that you love Donald Trump because he speaks his mind and then get mad at a comedian for doing what they do. Yeah. And I, I said that to my dad, and we had like a, a little solid argument about it. He's like, well, it was just disrespectful, da 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 Did you say anything when people were making fun of Obama and such? Like, I, I hate the lack of fairness. Yeah. Like, and I combat that because... You've got family and all that stuff that'll sit there and say it. It's like, no, be fair if you're going to give criticism. That's all I ask. True. I mean, the thing for me was she went after everybody beautifully. She had a 100%. lot of solid jokes. I mean, who am I compared to her right now? But right. Like, I, felt, I found a lot of her stuff funny. But one thing I can honestly say, though, was she had that... Two things that bother me. One, her voice. Her voice was I terrible. Hate, oh my god! <laughs> I hate Jewy voices. Dude, I really do. Unless you're saying this loan has been approved, I right. don't want to hear them shit. <laughs> and then two, I don't know if I, I will preface it by saying I'm a little. Uh, what's the M word? Where you're um. N word. M M. Oh, I was gonna uh, say, don't ask me that on here. Not, uh, not machismo, me. but like uh, 
you know what I mean? Where it's like sexism, but it's not like uh, I was. I was gonna yeah. say machismo, but I don't know. Yeah, like, whatever the word is, we're like toxic masculinity. Masculinity. So I have a little bit. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the T word. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I have a little bit of that. I think I have a little bit of. But can that we? Paris has, but the black version, and can, probably a little bit more digestible. So glasses. first off, with with her voice, it sounded like she had been sucking helium and then got throat yeah. fucked by like <laughs> two dudes right before that. It like but at least she acknowledged it, right? She yeah. did acknowledge it. Yeah, she went so. The good thing about it was like when you're going to go after people hard, or if you have harder shit, they always tell you to start with self deprecation. You have to. And she had a lot. Put of yourself stuff. on there. So you're willing to say, "Hey, yeah, I'm I know I'm not special. perfect, right? Exactly." Uh, but that's one thing I appreciate. But her voice was one, and one thing I think that could have helped her, which I'm not sure if it's me thinking that, you know, women don't have to have it as much because it's not the world they have to grow up in. She wasn't charming, and I think that's one thing that could have made it more digestible. It was her. Are you saying from? Voice, are you saying from like a looking stamp, like look standpoint? Both. I mean, she looked fine. She looked attractive on stage. Well, but her, like, she welcome to being a man. Welcome to being a man, lady. Dude. All right. We, when you don't look the greatest and your voice is annoying, it's, it's like being a dude. Charm. Yeah. To get, get by, have a little bit thing. better personality. She, it was like anyone could have went up, any person could have went up there and read those same jokes and got that same kind of feeling, performed it the same way. But if she had just a dose of charm. If it would have been like a Nikki Glazer going up there. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen her. Oh, so. <laughs> like, we, uh. Like a Michelle Buteau. Uh, Just anybody charming. It doesn't yeah. have to be a comedian. Like, yeah, I guess. But you're saying like more attractive or a better voice or a combination no, of the two. It's like charming. It's, it's, it's a way you could present yourself to make yourself likable. Maybe a smile at the right time. Maybe. Okay, I see you know what you're saying. Like she was too dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The talk to a woman. Okay. The things you have to do when you can't rely on looks like, you know, us two. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Like, yeah. Hey. I think that's fair drink. enough. But no, outside of that, yeah, charming. I think charming would have helped because Couldn't. everybody was quiet. And actually, I love that shit when you've got solid jokes and people are just shutting the fuck up. I love that. Well, it goes to show that they're paying attention. One, oh, and you're making no you're making people think. S- fucking Sarah Sanders. <laughs> what I what I loved about it though was it was like three minutes in. Yeah. And she's like, uh, "This is what you guys get for hiring me. You should have done your research, research. Something along that line. Yeah. Period." That's on you at that point. That you want to say a, how disrespectful she is? That's your fault. That was a, I think partially that was a me too hire, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, in that, if it's going to make people who felt disenfranchised get more opportunities, I'm all for that. Um, I, I mean, at the same time though, yeah, they should have done your research. If you wanted an Ellen DeGeneres, maybe you should have got Ellen. I think that's what they were expecting from a, any female comic, but instead, or right. Andy Schumer, right? Or shit and pussy jokes. But, so the and. <laughs> Like I told my dad and the meme and the the constant kind of rhetoric that came out of that from sensible people was it was just jokes, number one. Number two, the most offensive thing that she had to say. It wasn't all just jokes. Well, no. We were talking about real life situations. Who am I to say anything about that? Because I talk about real life situations with reality as part of the punchline that makes people a little uncomfortable. And... So when we talk about that, I'm all for it. From a, a sheer joke writing standpoint, those roast jokes were on the roast jokes were on point. Yeah. So I like that. But to me, the most offensive thing about that entire 19, 20 minute routine, yeah. Flint still does not have clean well, water. <laughs> you know what I mean? Love that. Yep. 
Like, like people, like I, I said that same thing to my dad. I was like, you're over here like getting upset because she did it to Sarah Sanders yeah. and you're saying Sarah Sanders is a class act. Like, okay, you're entitled to that opinion, but if you're not that upset that it's been over 365 days, it's like what, 440, 450, 460 some odd days. Two years, yeah. Two, three years. Are you shitting me? Like, that's what you're upset about. That that to me is the the pinnacle of American retardation, right? Like we are so up our own asses with our own beliefs, making it feel like, well, we're this and we're that. We're not even good people overall, man, because we're letting most of our people just fucking die by the wayside. You know what I mean? Like. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, half of it, I do, as I read more, as I learn more, like, half of that shit does have to do with media. They choose the story. 100%. So, like, that, if if all your sources that you have available to you, because not everybody knows how to use the internet, not mm-hmm. everybody has, like, a wide, diverse group of thinking friends that would be into different things, and that's one thing I always try to make sure I have around me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have those different ideas and different knowledge banks coming in to interact with, then right. you're limited to what's in, what you put in front of you. Which is why I'm thankful for the, my time in the military, because it gave yeah. me that. Yeah, it took me outside of my box. Too. Like, how did that help shape you, one, as a person, and if you want to tie back into your comedy and what you do now? I mean, to me, it, it's, it hit that nail on the head that what you said. I would have grown up in this lifestyle, at this box, and this mental, you know, imprisonment for you know to the Kanye deal right I would have been in that deal because if you would have talked to me seven years ago right and you would have brought up the term white privilege I'd have been like yo I was with all my friends we were you know without meals at times we didn't understand uh you know I didn't have name brand clothes and I was shopping at you know Goodwills and the Walmart hey shout out to Goodwill hey shout out to Goodwill fuck you Goodwill I'll take Salvation Army over you all right yeah because it's cheaper Goodwill doesn't uh-huh. Goodwill marks up their prices so much if you look at how much actually goes in the community and all that stuff is ridiculous. But they um always hire the one thing that sticks out to me, all the people that have special needs for the most part. So well, nobody like, cares them- about that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, man. Uh, it's nice. <laughs> I won't street. knock that. <laughs> if I can get, if I can only help one special person, read right, right, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's. that's, yeah. that's, that's I feel so open. <laughs> I'll take short for a fucking YouTube. Yeah, that works. But well, I'm no, you're good. Um, what was I saying? Oh, the, the whole white privilege thing. So I, I grew up in that. So if you would have been like white privilege, yeah. I, I was very much like there was no privilege. I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I I wasn't grown up. You know having the things that I have now I had to work for it. Yep. and that whole negative connotation towards white privilege is almost like you know life is given to you you don't have to work and it took me outside of my box and growing up and spending time in the military and around friends and around other friends with other ideas you know because yeah. while my friends were black they still were more on that conservative side you yeah. know what I mean like because it, 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 it's just what we were conditioned to do you know yeah. And so it's it was taking those ideas that challenged me, I guess, offended me at that time, mm-hmm. you know, because it was different. And I think that's part of the comedy thing is like, I think things and ideas that offend or offended me or offend others is because it challenges your train of thought. It challenges the way you think, it challenges the way you feel, and you don't get a feel for something outside of the way you see the world. When if you take that as an opportunity to say, well, why did it make me feel the way that I felt? And then you really break it down. You might be open to a whole new world, which that which is what I was. I started seeing, you know, 
unfortunately we see more and more of those video surface of unarmed black folks getting shot right and i equate it to something like that like i'd be like well you know police are just doing their job i was i was of that mindset too you know and then it took me sitting here looking at it from just just a sheer like relationship standpoint right if if you know we're in a relationship together and I keep hitting on you and you keep telling me to stop. Right. And I'm like, well, I, I, I did it cause I felt like it. And then we go through, we have an okay time. And then I do it again. And you say, you know, I don't like that you did it, but I say, oh, I did it cause I felt like it. Like yeah. you're not going to stick around and tolerate it. Right. Well, it's the same thing with police brutality. You can't keep sitting here saying, well, I feared for my life. I thought it was a gun. It's, it's the same rhetoric. That's, that's not a catch all end all, you know, whatever. Yeah. Now for anybody out there, that's all, Pro cops and everything understand. I served in the law enforcement capacity my first six years, so I understand like the more intricacies. The whole idea of why didn't he shoot him in the leg—that's nonsensical. And if you want, we can have a whole fucking podcast about that because just firing a pistol—you've never fired a pistol if you think that shooting somebody in the leg is going to stop them. Then two, something—and this is for you too, JB. Like a hundred percent. If if people ever want to know, well, why does the officer always get away with it? Why do they never get charged? Look up the Graham versus Connor case. That's that is an excellent case, and it establishes why the law is written the way that it's written. I'm not saying that I'm pro it. I'm not saying yeah. anything. I'm saying simply from a factual standpoint, so you can educate yourself. The Graham versus Connor case for law enforcement. It basically it, it states why the officer on scene must be believed for his perspective rather than 2020 hindsight. And it's very interesting, to say the least. And that's something that we learned in that law enforcement capacity where it's like, okay, I'm seeing a little bit behind the curtain as to why things are the way they are. Okay. Because um, uh, I was talking to this another comic named Will Thomas, local dude. Yep, yep. You know, been doing it for about a decade or so. Recently retired. Baltimore uh, cop. Yeah. Yep. Police. Um, we were talking the other night, just chopping up and talking about uh, just what we're, material we're working on and things like that. And he said uh, he used to work on, or used to do a lot of material about, you know, being a police officer. Uh, he's still trying to do it now, uh, but he's trying to find the balance. Yeah. And given the police perspective, but also, but also making it funny. Right. Because like, there's a you know, touring comedian's been on, I think, Bad Boys and stuff. But Timmy Hall. Yep. Uh, known as the 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 comic cop. Yeah, comic yep. cop who, I think, treads the line fairly well. Uh, but then I was talking about Will, too. Like, how do you talk about that without pigeonholing yourself, I think, to a degree, by calling yourself a comic cop? Because then that's the expectation you set forth when right. audiences come to see you. Um, Plus, that moniker's already taken. You don't want to seem like a ripoff. Yeah, you're Cause both Especially because they're both Baltimore. Both black. Yeah. Both under 5'6". So yeah. it's like, you don't have a lot going for you <laughs> outside, <laughs> outside of that shit. But would... just in terms of, I guess, like, giving a, a, the counter perspective... The side that people don't see, right? Um, and trying to make that funny. How do you take your more sensitive stuff? Since you want to, you do base a lot of material on reality, right? Um, and it's a lot of truth-based punchlines. How do you make yourself write or deliver material that will give possibly both sides of the coin's perspectives, but but also making it digestible? Because it's going to be hard, like, if you know Anthony Jeselnik and guys of that vein mm-hmm. who are, like, dark dudes, like a tie. Right, right, Dark right, right. dudes, 
I'm going to see Jessamick in June. Like I, oh, I, I love. I, I, not live. That's one of the first guys I saw. Not I live. Shakespeare. Like I, fucking Shakespeare. I, I, I love his albums. You know, whether we're talking Caligula, Shakespeare, if yeah. we're talking uh, Thoughts and Prayers on Netflix, like yeah. I think that dude is from a simple joke crafting perspective. That dude is like top notch. He's like a Stephen Wright, you know, Mitch Hedberg level to where it's literally set up punch. Like right, set hold up on, punch. You getting carried away? Let me. You're starting to mention his name around the wrong. No, no, no. I'm talking about writing. Rights. I'm talking about writing. Simply writing, because there's no fat on the jokes. That's all I'm saying. Oh, he's very. Economic. If we're talking about material-wise, yeah. oh yeah, he's no I doubt. I would say he's on the level of like an Ian Edwards. Yeah. You know Ian Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because yeah, he goes around with a uh, Joe Rogan, right? I don't even know anymore. I know. Um, I mean, he's mainly known for his writing on shows. But yeah. my bad. Let's. We'll chop it up about that shit in a minute. But in terms of how do you make your comedy digestible if you know it's going to be that kind of hard edge stuff that, I, at, at first glance, might I, not I carry well. I think it's about that relatability, right? Okay. It's making myself relatable. So it's always, if I'm going to do some of the heavier stuff, it's yep. always starting with me growing up as white trash. Okay. And what's the connotation with white trash? You're stupid. You're halfway racist. You know, maybe your teeth ain't that good. Meth. You know, you fuck your sisters. Stuff like that, right? And I always say something like that. But like, I'm I'm white trash, but I'm not so white trash that I fuck my sister. Like, yeah. something that, like, oh, shit, oh, my God. Like, that, should name, uh, that should be the name of your autobiography. <laughs> yeah, but maybe at that point, I will fuck my sister. You know, you never know. Like, <laughs> To be continued. Yeah, yeah, you, we're still... We're still Learning. <laughs> so, one, it's that relatability. Everybody yeah. has to have that because it's like you said with Michelle Wolf, right? Yeah. If you don't have charm, if you don't have likability, you could be saying the funniest things out there from a well-crafted joke to the best material. But if there's something about you that people don't like, it's going to stand out. Yeah. So that her voice really stood out. Where if she had a softer, more accepting voice or a more like commanding, like oh, that's not. Hold on, I don't want to make that point. Her voice would be unbearable no matter how I, she made me feel. I completely agree, <laughs> right? But it's it's one of those things that that is tagging right along with what you said, right? Yeah. She's got to have that likability, and yeah. if you don't have that, you lose. I I think you lose at about twenty percent of the effectiveness of the joke. Oh, you do at least you do because you do. of that. Right. Yeah. So I think when it comes to how do I particularly do it, I don't know, man. I, I guess I just write and I smile a lot. I okay. giggle a lot because um, I do find the stuff funny, even when it's a little effed up. And to me, it's it's that mental chess game of like, how do I plug and play my old stories and old jokes and punchlines into this new audience? Because you find not every setup and punchline is the same. It doesn't right. go to the same flow. You know that, right? Your your joke that you do at this spot tonight and you go to another one 20 minutes later yeah. is likely not going to be the same format just because the audience is different. So you got to find that way to shape it. So I think that's that's literally getting that feel for what the crowd likes and understanding it. When it comes to the writing, man, I think it's just writing it and trying it. It's, it's a lot of trial and error. To say this is this is what I did before. It didn't work. This is what I'm doing now. It got hits. All right, cool. Let's let's stick to that side and try and iron it out. So you do a lot of heavy editing for your jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you should. I, 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 <laughs> pretty much any time I'm driving into the city, yeah. I'm I'm likely dissecting a joke or three that I've okay. either done or one that's impending. You know, like 
It's it's in my brain right now, and I'm I'm plugging and playing. I'm like, man, damn, I should have said it like this, and what I meant was that, yeah. and it's this. So I, I I'm gonna input that, or damn, I just really thought of this. This is really funny, and I'm gonna insert it here, right? Yeah. So, with that too, because I do a lot of editing, but I also work on like a lot of material at the same time, which is tough. Because Same just thing. going to Bruce Lee, his qu- this quote isn't on my wall, but I have like quotes from like a lot of different influences on my wall. But one that's not up there that I distinctly remember is that I the one he said about I don't fear a man that's practiced um, ten thousand different techniques one time. I fear the man that's practiced one technique ten thousand different times. And like, and it comes to editing and stuff. It's like you really need to spend time working on your material. Like, what's the average amount of time you would say you work on a joke that you want to keep oh man average every bit at least and this is probably being more on the the conservative side right yeah. i mean can't help it but i i think it's at least a week right like like that's it that like at least a week like where i'm i'm focused on one particular segment of my joke yeah to iron it out and I'm talking like week-wise to where like I'm literally thinking of it the entire 35-minute commute in, the entire 35-minute uh, minute commute out uh, while I'm at my work. Like a bit. Okay. Like a, a, a bit to where I can plug and play this. Yeah. And sometimes it might even just be like as simple as the punchline. I stood on a punchline. That's what? I, I'm saying Every. like, you know what I mean, yeah. man. But like it might just be the punchline because I'm like, I don't like this punchline. Yeah. And I'm I'm stewing on it for a week and it's you know, it's it's like I'm getting stonewalled. You know, you get that writer's block, whatever, or something that comes like, I don't like the way that sounds. It's right. it's okay, but it's only like sixty percent there. Why can't I get it to seventy five or why is it not just falling into place? I would say on average something that quote unquote simple mm-hmm. is at least a week. At least. I will push back a little bit because I think every part of a joke is so important, especially when you want to be economic and stuff. Like, I would say for jokes I like, which is few and far between that I do. Like, I have jokes I enjoy, yeah. but like, like and want to make part of a 5, 10, 15, whatever minute set. Right. Uh, a few months, three to six months at least. For so, joke. so for, okay, so on that, yeah, I would say it takes months. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like if we're saying like ones that I I, I want to keep I want to tweak and keep tweaking I keep, yeah. I think in all honesty man like I have some from when I first started five years ago that just now started falling into place because I I think that's also part of your growth period too not yeah. not just as a comic but as a person right things evolve a little bit your viewpoint rounds out a little bit more you as a person become more sure and things just sometimes it's almost like you know when you you have somebody's name or a word on the tip of your tongue you can't think of it and nobody in your office can think of it right and you're like damn it i I, why can't i come up with this word and then 20 minutes later you're off doing something and then you think of that word you're like ah here it was it was it's it's almost like that sometimes right and you're like crazy that's perfect that's where it goes there so yeah that definitely takes months if not years and then the best part is when you get that epiphany you show up to the club yeah you're like Here's my premise. Here's the setup. Here's the punchline. And it's fucking good. <laughs> like, what am I doing with my life? Just... <laughs> that's the worst, man. Like, I, that's what I always say. Like, I, <laughs> I think it's just, it makes you feel so lonely, right? <laughs> like, on a, on a physical, uh, emotional level, like, you're like, 
I just I want to go home, go to bed. Yeah. You know, don't talk to nobody. Nobody talk to me. Like, like fuck this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I misunderstood your question, but yeah, it, I think it t- it takes a long time. I was thinking more specifically on a specific bit. If I'm if I'm trying to iron it out and get it like ready to present to where I'm I, I feel oh, first comfortable time. first time it takes oh, me I would what? say about a week to where I feel like really good now some of them I'll jump out there a little bit earlier because yeah. I feel like I've been in long enough to where I've got enough chops to where I can bullshit my way through it sure. like not trying to shit You're on anybody on but to yeah try to, play with to where to where I can play with it yeah. to where I, I'm not 100% comfortable with where it's at yeah. but I at least want to get it out there so I can hear it I can have it recorded I can say oh that I shit the bed on that so let me reel that back and come it in yeah. but as far as like finalizing yeah man months year two years yeah I mean even then like uh, Godfrey you know Godfrey yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he has jokes he's been working on for like six seven years yeah that he still uses to this day that he Literally spent those whole years working on it and yeah. setting stuff. So I guess in terms of editing, before we you know, get to like the last two or three questions, one approach I use actually I use several different approaches because I, I consider myself a jack of all trades, master of none type. So I don't know what's the best way for me to for me to do editing. So I have sessions where I'll write something out. This is all in one joke or one bit. I'll write it out. I'll repeat it out loud, and that's just two different mediums where I can um, interact with it, seeing it. And then hearing it, saying it, and then also listen to the recording of it when I've right. done it. Do you have find one that works best for you, or how do you this is, so approach your stuff? I think I'm I'm me personally. I like to record it and then go back and watch it. But sometimes sure. I wouldn't say sometimes. I think every time I watch it, I cringe. Every time I watch or hear me, I cringe. Yeah, that's gonna happen. And I'm like, dude, I I don't know why I don't just jump out of a window right now and just call it quits because. You are terrible at this. That's how it sounds to me like every time. And well, if it helps, you do live in a one-floor house. Hey, it was yeah, hey I'm just saying. I'm, I might go to the roof and jump, all right? Hey, I appreciate the motivation, all right? <laughs> but I, uh, me personally, man, I feel like I accomplish more when it's in my mind and it's absorbed there. I'll have it written down. I'll yeah. have it recorded, you know, either audio, visually, whatever. Yeah. But I feel like when it's toyed around in my mind, oh, yeah, yeah. I I do so much like air writing, if you will, in my mind to where it's like, nah, that sounds stupid because I like can visualize me performing it and saying, oh, that just doesn't make sense and that's stupid. Whereas I with the, the recordings and everything, you basically just have, it, it is what it is. Yeah. That's it. That's the stupid right there. Right. You have no choice. Right. And, no and you're like, that just sucks. Like, I... I I can't not unhear that, and it's yeah. like that, that. All I know at that point is that just doesn't fit. And I'm not saying that that's not a great tool to have, but toying it around in here to where okay, I, I might you know go out and do something that's a little mindless for a little bit, like watch a YouTube video and then revisit it. And that's why I said you know like toying around with it for that like at least week long, yeah. you know, for a new thing that popped up in my head. I, I think it's kind of that, like it's air writing for me. That's true. And when you're doing your editing, too, it's one thing I toyed with considering sometimes is just when I'm doing editing, who am I doing the editing for? It's like, am I editing it for something that fits me? Am I having an audience in mind when I'm thinking of this? Normally, it's what sounds funny to me because I feel more comfortable delivering something that's funny to me versus like for a specific group of people. You, ha- you have to. Yeah. You, you have Because that was one thing that I felt grimy about when I first started. I, I 
I was bombing regularly. Like yeah. after my first two times, because my first time on stage, it went really well, which sure. I think is a terrible thing um, for a comic, right? Because then you're like, this is, uh, this is what Madison Square do. Garden's next, right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm Kevin Hart and that's it, right? Like, I think that's a terrible thing. But it's also a positive thing because at least you're like, maybe I have the chops for this, and then you keep going. Whereas if I would have ate a complete dick that day, I don't know that I'd still be doing it. Because be like, well, that blew a cock, and I'm done. You know, like yeah. it would have been a one and done. So with that, I, I spent a lot of time bombing, and then I got advice that, I, you know, you always get advice, and some is more valuable than others. Yeah. And one of the things that I remember was because I kept bombing, I started to do the topical stuff and, you know, stuff that was just like, it was whatever to me. I, yeah. I didn't believe it. And somebody told me, they said, you have to write things that you find funny because if you're writing it for other people to find funny, they won't. Nope. Which is 100% true. Like, even as, as fucked up as my mind might go or your mind might go and then you take it and present it to Everybody's an audience. Mind. Right, and that's the yeah. thing. Everybody has a level of being fucked up. Yeah. Whether people want to admit it or not, everybody has a level to it. Yeah. And some might be darker than others. It just is what it is. But I get much more payoff, more bang for my buck, more gratification out of the fact like when I can take something that I know is messed up but it was my personal thought I wrote it down I rewrote it I reworked it and I come out and I regurgitate it to an audience and they really laugh about it that's way more than well here's my Donald Trump joke of the day like here's my time which I think are great writing exercises if you could take a couple of headlines and then oh, do yeah, like yeah, bam 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 it's a great writing exercise but you still got to stick to what you find is funny not you almost have to mold the audience to you rather than you mold to the audience. Oh, not even almost. You have to. Right. You know what I mean? That's how you build your audience. That's how you get your comfort. Once they see you're comfortable, right. they'll be comfortable. Um, but all that to say, I just wanted to share with everyone, this is how hard we work on our dick and piss and sometimes racist jokes. You know what yep. I mean? This is... It's at least don't... two days. <laughs> <laughs> you might be surprised. There's actual thought behind this stuff, which is... Uh, yeah. Better than we can say for It takes people. a lot to for me to come out there and admit that my pee smelled like tuna earlier today. You know, like it it takes a while. Yeah, especially because uh, you don't eat tuna. Exactly. So that's fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we got a couple more questions, and right. then you can plug whatever shows you got coming up and stuff. But it's sort of just like influence and stuff. Of course, we got Jelsinek. I heard Stephen yeah. Wright. I'm assuming Hedberg. Who else? Um, I would say definitely. And how? Jesselnick is definitely a big influence, more so now that I've actually gotten into comedy because he wasn't around back in the day. Yeah. Like, I, I, I really right like I really like his spreading of the topics, obviously, because he's very dark. Um, and the fact that there's no fat to it. Like, when when this dude writes jokes, it's it's set up punchline. It's, it's bang, 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 well, bang, 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 edits, bang. Guys, edits. Yeah. Nice. Right, you know. The first time is... His, know, his finalized version of what is presented is yeah, bang, yeah. bang. As far as like my big influences, man, like growing up, Bernie Mac, I'll never forget that Def Comedy joint when he had those, uh, those the jeans with the yeah the on it that, and then he said, <laughs> "I ain't scared of you, motherfuckers." Yeah, and Check yeah, when he said, "Kick," he started doing that. <laughs> I will never forget that. Like I will never ever no, forget that. I saw it live back in the Damn. day, okay. watching it. And I remember, like, that stuck in my head. And that's, like, the the quintessential Bernie right there, right? Like, everybody sits there and That was that. the first 
Bernie, the nation grew to know. Right. Because he started touring immediately. Right, and, and but it was because of that. And this wasn't even his, I don't think that was his first time on Def Comedy. Second. I, was I was going to say. The I, first I, time he did Take Me Out to the Ball. Yeah, and I, oh man, like it was just that level of like confidence and going out there and saying what he wanted to say and saying, despite what you think of me or Fearless. whatever, yeah. bam, this is what it is and you're going to take it or not, it's there. That struck me, man, as a kid. So that, by far, is one of the the biggest influences. And then as comedy kind of went on, as life went on, I think it was just everything in life. Like, like. Okay. So not necessarily comedians, then. Yeah, I mean, because like, like, I grew up watching like the Hamburgers and you know the Chris Thomas who's a, a fucking DC legend though if y'all don't know about him. Hamburger still yeah, tours. Hamburger still tours. He was over at Meeks a couple weeks ago. Are you yeah, yeah, yeah. So same, same with Chris Thomas. He's always like cuz you know Mike Brooks is deaf comedy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Brooks, you know, another legend. Um I would say honestly like I got to watch those guys and it was very good. But my biggest influences like in comedy in general, or guys like a Jesselnick now, yeah. who's you know on that unattainable level for somebody like me, and then some of these local guys like a Mike Brooks, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a bad guy Flex, like uh, shout out Flex, yeah, shout, shout out, out my man Flex, um, shout out Mike Brooks, man. Um, you want to talk about like people that know how to host a, um, a dude that even people that influence me in ways that like I, I wouldn't expect them to, like a KY Nelly. If you never met KY out of Baltimore, I thought it was Ky Nelly. I, I did too until I met him. It's KY Nelly. But it's KY that, Nelly. That's a totally different, <laughs> yeah. totally different. Because that dude knows how to host and he gets okay. the energy up and, and it influenced me in a certain way. My man Spoon, Tony Spoon Stewart, oh, yeah, yeah. um, an OG in the game. Yeah. We're talking about guys that've been around a while, man, and and I've been fortunate enough to share the stage, some conversation time off on the side. Yeah. Um those are like more real time influences where I've got to actually sit back and be a student of the game and see how they do it. Like yeah. I'll never forget, man, we went to it was like five people in a spot in Silver Spring and Flex was trying to open up a room or doing something out there. It was like okay. five people. Okay. I went up there and I did my thing and I ate a bag of dicks because it was just they just weren't feeling it. But you know, you you've been around him, man. You know he's got that energy, that oh, everything to be able to just rope everybody. Stamina. Like crazy. Yo, to to be able to go like that dude can go for two hours, two three, three he hours. Three hours. Show at Primaries by himself. Right. For three hours. And, and and by himself. Not even winded. No. Not even winded. So that shit, I never forget when I first saw him. It was at Sartiques Lounge, and the way he worked the Sartique. crowd. Yeah, Sartiques. He sounds sexy. Go ahead. So it was some fucking like rental place that you do. Like you okay. got to rent it rent out. The room and right. Show. Okay. So. It was something along those lines, and I just remember when he stepped in, he commanded attention and, and this authoritative power, and you're like, okay, yeah, and I was like, okay, and, and when he got it started, it was it was like on 100, and it stayed 100 and above the entire hour and a half that he worked, and I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Not without crap like that. Right, is- you know, and so... I think that's what I've been able to be very fortunate and in, in catch influence, you know, and even even... And little things with like you when yeah. we were first, you know, dinking around like Beer Baron and RFD back in the oh, day yeah. when I first met shout you. Out RFD, yeah, shout, shout out Ralph Cooper, yeah. man. Ralph is another dude that influenced me from oh, his. Yeah, I loved his fucking hosting style. Like him and the way that he opened up RFD to set the rule state the way yeah. that he did. Yeah. Period, point blank. Coop, you're my motherfucking man. So. Sure. 
with RFD was to me one of the funniest, and I was very fortunate to to fall into that. And then met you out at Beer Baron, and you were even giving me tips, even though I'd been in longer than you. You were more plugged into the scene because you live here, and you were telling me, you know, DC stand up is one, oh, and this yeah. that, way. and I, I didn't know that, man. I was literally at the mercy of you know. I won't shout any venues or people out because I don't want to put people on the spot. I was more at the mercy of the more popular ones that, okay. that operate based off their clicks and stay that way. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the ones you know. that are great for the scene. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would think those are my, my biggest influences, which I'm grateful for. True. Okay. Okay. And then uh, last question. Uh, goals. Always one. Actually, no. Two more questions. First one being goals. What is uh? Give me a long term and a short term goal you have for comedy. Short term, year, long term. Uh, five. I think f- my five year goal is to hopefully be eaten off the mic. To be able to walk away, yeah, to walk away from a day job, okay. be a full time comedian. Only with stand up. Doing just stand up. Okay. Um, you know, if it leads to other endeavors, I'm not opposed to it because I did that thing for TV One. Like a year, two years ago, something like that. What? Uh, oh, the the show? Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, Frankie J. Uh, yeah, with Frankie J. Okay. I was uh, out there on um, Thou Shalt Not. I did that. Um, I, I was so legit, man. I got cut out, so all you saw was me blurry in the background. That was my five minutes of fame. <laughs> so I'm not like opposed. To it. it was a cool experience. It's not something that I necessarily know that I'd want to do all the time because yeah. it was a lot of standing around, a lot of waiting, a lot of like whatever. Waiting but for your turn, yeah. yeah, but. I mean, I don't think I'd turn it down again because it was still kind of cool and kind of fun. You got credits, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. who who could say that? You know, like not a whole lot of people could say that. So I thought that was kind of you know cool to be a little nobody, white trash from nowhere. Like that's yeah. that's pretty cool. So my five year plan is to be able to walk away, eat off the mic, and have no day job other than that. So that's that's five years. As far as short term goals, I think it's to continue. I think it's short and long term to continue to just be a student of the game and learn, right? Like, okay. I think, in particular, I think my crowd work has to get better. Um, not that it's terrible, but it's definitely not good. Um, yeah. Because I think crowd work is hard to master, man. How do you yeah. wield the Pros how, who had it? Yeah, I'm saying. So how do you wield that mic power to come back and forth, and then choop, and then how do I overcome a lot of these? issues of the the apprehension and the hesitation towards a white dude to be grabbing the mic at an all-black establishment saying the things that I say because it seemed to have become a little bit more difficult. How do I adjust my material and adjust my stuff to that audience? Not adjust me, but adjust the material to make it, okay, now it's more palatable. True. And how often do you struggle with that, you think? Um, every time you get in front of black no, audience? No, it's, not, it's definitely not ones? every time. It's it's certain ones. when okay. they're When they're the very, like, ratchet ass crowds yeah i can't relate to them on the same level because they're the type of crowd that want you know the comic if it's you up there they want you to drop the n-word 77 times within a five minute span motherfucker everything you know what i'm saying they're the type yeah yeah, they're the type that want to be you know joned on you know roasted whatever the hell you want to call it right joning is roasting for people that ain't dc yeah That's, that's what they want they want that they want this let's get hood for no reason and then i record it and it goes viral because they want a piece of it and it's like no i I work my ass off for this whether you think it or not like i work my ass off and so the other people here i'm not willing to do that for you but how do i balance that line better that's that's a goal you're there to give them a show right it's not the show maybe that right they expect from instagram right so i guess in terms of wanting to do all that and 
this is one of something I want to talk about earlier, but I just remember now. Carving your own lane. How important is it for you, especially given, you know, the 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 tighter landscape of comedy there is, like there's more venues but people are putting more rules, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the more places you go. And then on top of that, like we touched on before, there's clicks that's going on in comedy and things like that that make it difficult to get into. Right. Honestly, some of the bigger rooms, whether it's a mic or a, yeah. a club, 100%. local clubs specifically, like how important is it to you? And then how, what are ways you've gone, gone about on your own uh, to carve your own lane? So how important is yeah. paramount. It's paramount because I... Uh, like I said, grew up in, with the '80s comedy and the Def Comedy Jam in the the, the early '90s. I, I grew up in the '90s, right? But watched '80s comedies because that was the stuff, that right? And yeah, you know, yeah, obviously, Deep Throat. You know, I'm I'm all about that. Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> but it's it's paramount, and it's that old Steve Martin quote, right? You got to be so good they can't ignore you, right? Like that's yeah. that's the mantra in which I try to live by. I've I've met quote unquote. Several, you know, higher up there DC comics several times. Sure. And what I mean by that is these these people have been around DC. They're known well in DC. And we've met for the first time four times now. You know, like, and I'm not going to name any names. And it's not their fault. I'm not saying that. I'm not throwing any shade. I recognize them. I'm very good with faces. I'm very good with names. But I'm obviously still a nobody to them at this point. I get that. I understand that. Another white guy with a beard. Right. Exactly. Which I'm very proud of, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> but it's that's important to me to change that yeah. to where it's like now oh I've seen this dude around I've heard of this dude and and this is what he brings to the table right establish yourself right you 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 want that to where it's like okay so but I want it without having to ride coattails of anybody like I don't want to sit here and tie my name to somebody to be like well here I am now good 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 like yeah. because then it's like hey you're such and such friend no I'm me period. So I think that's why it's paramount to carve your own lane. As far as steps, that's why, you know, I've opened up a couple rooms, done stuff like that. And yeah. that's honestly why, for probably my career's detriment, I've avoided D.C. fairly frequently um, because my comedy's not well-received around here. Just D.C.? Or Definitely. More so in front of certain audiences. Cause I know in D.C., if you go do certain rooms different parts of the city yeah i would say i would definitely say certain crowds okay right so certain areas of dc if you will um you definitely have me i chose to avoid because it didn't do anything for my confidence man i'm sitting there like eating a dick regularly in front of a bunch of strangers so i essentially drove an hour and a half you know from home to yeah. go and talk shit in front of these people to have them be like, we hate you, like essentially. You. And then yeah. I got to drive an hour and a half back and then still get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Well, isn't like, that just part of... It's part of the learning curve, right? Part yeah, of the you, you have to have a, a deep appreciation for that, which I do. Yeah. Which now I can I can go home more confident, not be like tearing up, being like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that level of like soul punching, like gut-wrenching failure. Yeah, yeah. like a piece of car. <laughs> right. You couldn't make... Two people laugh. Right. Fucking Northwest DC. Right. So you've got all that stuff. So I think that that's part of that steps where it's like I've, I've had to alter my path. My path isn't necessarily going multiple times a night in multiple venues a night in DC yep. like some of these other cats have. Even some of these newer ones. Some of these newer ones, man, good for them. They've blown up way more in a year than I have in five because 
they they've gone to Magoobies and now they've headlined and they've gone to Baltimore Comedy Factory and now or not headlined hosted I'm sorry and then they've hosted at Baltimore Comedy Factory yeah. they've gotten on at you know other shows at the Improv to where they've you know done you know the local open mic blowing up on the scene type yeah, of shows and all that like no and uh, again no shade yeah. no shade like I got mad love for all y'all man keep doing you there's definitely a level of trying not to take it personal you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Can't make it a you can't, right? And, and sometimes it gets harder, like especially when you're in your low points. Like if I eat a dick all week, and then I see somebody post a highlight, it's like, man, this motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? It's what like, do I gotta do? Yeah, it's like, get right? In your shoes, right? right so it's it's little things like that, man. But it's it's you, you got to stay true to you. Of got to stay true to your humor. You got to stay true to your style. Period. True. So in terms of so you say you open a couple rooms, whatever. Steps are you taking to kind of carve out your own lane? I think it's it's sticking to my principles when it comes to the comedy in the aspect that nothing is off limits because at the end of the day it is jokes. And it's almost like when Patrice O'Neill, which I, I failed to mention, Patrice O'Neill is a huge influence too. May he rest in peace. Yep. I've always loved Patrice, man. His style, um, to just be able to rope in people was was legit. But he's one of those people that uh, was an elephant in the room, was one of the uncut scenes to where he basically said, uh, to point out a lady who wasn't laughing. Okay, yeah, and yeah. then the lady was like, well, I'm just waiting on you to make me laugh, something like that. He's like, you hear everybody else around you laughing. Like, <laughs> if you're that miserable, I can't make you laugh, which yeah, is 100% like true. Inside, yeah, like... like it's, it's sticking to your principles. It's sticking true to you, sticking yeah. to your material, yeah. and continuing to refine it and saying what you have to say. And another quote, and I realize I'm getting kind of preachy with all these quotes, but Chris Rock influenced me way back in the day when I was yeah, watching the interview. No, <laughs> that too, you know. <laughs> Damn it all. <laughs> I can't say it, otherwise I would. You know, I'm just kidding. Somebody wants to fucking kill me right now, you know. But he said... Um, when he noticed when he was going through it and he was still up and coming, he said a lot of comics were saying a lot of the same things or they were along the same lines, yeah. right? He ended up saying, what are they not saying? What are they missing? And that's something I constantly ask myself. What are they not saying? What are they missing from this side? So we, we can all say certain things. We all can believe certain things. But yeah. if you're all saying it and saying it along the same way, that means there's this whole other side that's being untapped. Like, it, yeah. it, right or wrong, you got to find a way to tap into that to at least expose it to bring it out there as to why it might be true or why it's completely false. But you got to find a way to incorporate that, too, because not everything is so one sided and absolute. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how I try to go about it. OK, cool. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Terrence, where can people find you? Talk about your room. Man, you can find me all around uh, my house. Uh oh. Which I won't tell you where I live. Waldorf. Go find <laughs> um, you can find me Waldorf, Maryland, every Wednesday at Beer For You. Uh, it is the internet age, so if you're still asking me for a motherfucking address, I hate you. I hate your soul because you can Google it, all right? It's <laughs> Beer For You. It is a little dive bar where me and my man D-Sharp run an open mic out there. And it's a great workout room. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's packed all the time. Sometimes it's packed, sometimes it's not. But it's a great spot. I like to say we're real supportive to let you come out and do your thing. Um, as far as shows, I got one with KY Nelly coming up. 
the 27th of May. I'll be up in Baltimore. Okay. Um, I've got another couple that are in the works right now, but nothing's finalized. So I'll be out doing my thing. I'll probably pop into like Rudy's spot, something. But I just, okay. I'm out there working, man. It usually just depends on what's going on and where it's at. Okay. And then where can they find you on social medias? All right, if you want to have your feelings hurt, uh, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Fake Terrence G. Uh, I like that because everybody's like, I'm the real such and such, and then they get that little verified check. Well, I'm fake, and then I'll get a verified check someday, and then you'll be like, I don't know what the fuck to believe. So I just like to mess with people. Right, yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, so that's Twitter, that's Instagram. All right, any last words, any parting words? Nah, man, just uh, I appreciate you having me, man. This has been fun. Um... People, stop being so damn sensitive, please. Like, whatever happened to sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know? Have you been to Palestine lately? Uh, hey, look, man. They might be stoning people to death, but that's my whole point, right? It's not like they're like, hey, you queer. And then they're like, oh, that's the worst thing you're doing to me right now. You know? <laughs> just throw a rock instead and kill me that way. Don't call me a queer and accuse me of fucking cattle. Like, no, don't do it. <laughs> Alright man, it was good having you Thank Hell you, yeah uh, This has been another episode of On the Ground with Justin Brown This is Justin Brown saying Eater Richard <laughs> Alright, until next time guys, take care